This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Have you noticed that we're in the middle of an election? I'm guessing if you're tuned in to us now, you probably are aware, because you've probably heard Bill Kelly talk about it, I hope. You've probably heard Scott Thompson about it, I hope. You've heard it on the news. You've heard me talk about it. We are right in the teeth of the provincial election, less than three weeks away from electing a new or a returning premier. Don't know yet, although I'm not liking the odds of the returning part based on polls right now. But anyway. There are so many storylines going on, but one of the people I just mentioned, that would be Bill Kelly, morning show host, best morning show host in, I was going to say in the region. Well, that goes without saying. Best morning show host in the country is right here in Hamilton. And he writes a commentary every day. And today he wrote something that, you know what I thought, let me bring Bill on. He's just done three hours of radio. It's not like he's needing something else to do on the air, but I thought I'm going to bring Bill back on here tonight because, uh, and Bill, thanks for doing this. Scott, it's always a pleasure, really, to be on your show, especially because uh, I, you know all the guests on the show tonight win blue rodeo tickets. That's what you said. Wasn't uh, it? I think that's kind of what I said. I'm, I will clarify. Yeah, I will clarify that you actually have to win the prize to get it for anyone uh, who actually heard what you heard. But all right, well, anyway. okay. Uh, the answer is uh, Hawaii Five O. <laughs> Almost, and that could be the answer down the road. We'll see. <laughs> but you wrote a piece today. You do a commentary every did, day that yes. you do on the air, and then you post it online. And I thought it was uh, very apropos today. It's one of the, I think, one of the key issues of this whole election, and certainly the politicians do too. Uh, the headline is "Eliminating the Deficit Comes at a Cost." And before we get into the cost, do you think there's too many people out there, Bill, who don't think? that we do need to do something about the debt and the deficit? Are there too many people walking around saying, ah, just keep building it? I, see, I don't see that. I think most people are saying, no, this is something we have to look at. Yeah, the, the basis of the commentary today, Scott, is, as I mentioned uh, in, the, in the piece that's online, is look, there's a global news poll that, that was done, and that 70% of the people in this province, the voters that they contacted anyway, said, yeah, we need to eliminate the deficit. That has to be done. I said, well, that's great. That's a very laudable goal, and I, I'm on side with that. I, I think we should, too. You know, we all want to balance the books, right? You don't want to run a deficit. Okay, so question two is, what are you willing to pay for it? Uh-huh. Remember, remember the, that movie, The Untouchables? Yes. Uh, you know, Kevin Costner is meeting with Sean Connery in the church, and he says, i got to take Capone down, and, and Connery says, what are you willing to pay? What do you? Well, that's the same question we need to ask voters. What are you willing to give up? You want to get rid of the deficit? What are you willing to pay? And as I mentioned in the piece today, to, to all the wealthy people, that's not you and me, but there are lots of people in this country with wealth in this province, uh, are you willing to pay higher taxes? Uh, corporations, businesses, are you willing to pay higher taxes to get rid of that? Uh, let's, let's talk about cutting programs. Are we willing, willing to cut costs to, uh, to health care? Are we willing to close hospitals? Are we willing to put more, less money into education, into, into municipalities for infrastructure? The answer to all that is no, of course we don't. Well, then how are you going to do it? Because you can't have one without the other. But, Bill, this is the part that I, I'm struggling to understand the mindset are, of God. the electorate, though. I'm struggling to find the mindset of the electorate because if we all say and we use our own household budget as the example, although, as I've told people on the show before, for some reason, politicians always say you can't use that example. I've never understood why not. But anyway, well, you, should. you use fair. your own household budget. I now am going deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. Normally, the commonplace, the logical answer is, well, I must then 
cut something, there must be sacrifice. But it seems when we're talking about an election or elector or voters, they say they want the money to go down, the cost, the debt to go down, but they don't want to give anything up. I, I don't understand where there's this divide that we can't seem to get over that people put together the fact that cutting means cutting. Well, there's, there's a, a, a philosophical thing going on here, and I don't want to get too deep into that. But it's that we have what we call populist politicians right now that, that love to play to that. I mean, you know, 70% of the people say, okay, for instance, we don't, we don't like the idea of carbon tax. I'll give you a, a – you know what part B to that is, Scott? 99.9% of the people don't want to pay taxes at all. All right? We, we think taxes suck. They're terrible. But if we don't have them, we don't have health care, we don't have education, we don't have infrastructure. You, you have to do it. It's a necessary evil. Of course nobody likes those sorts of taxes. But, and, and there are politicians, and there are some of them running in this election right now, that play on that and say, I'm going to lower your taxes. And we all think, hey, that's a great idea. Yeah, I want to pay less tax. But the, part B to that is, okay, what are you willing to give up? Do you want to have less money for cities? Do you want to have, uh, like Mike Harris did, let's down all those costs to the, your property tax base? Your, your provincial taxes will be lower, but your property taxes are going to skyrocket. We don't understand that for every, it's, it's the old you know, theory of relativity, for every action there's a reaction. If the government's going to lower your taxes, they're going to give you less for it. Are you willing to do that? And every, the answer to that is always no. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Chatting with Bill Kelly from 900 CHML. We're chatting about the provincial election and cuts. Bill wrote about it today. You can read it online at 900CHML.com. The headline, Eliminating Cuts... Uh, sorry, eliminating the deficit comes at a cost. And Bill, just before the break, we were pointing out that, you know, it is a, it is a, 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 we've seen historically when Mike Harris was in office that hospitals and municipalities and other things did get cut when big cuts were being offered. But what I'm struggling to wrap my head around here is there surely are some programs and some areas in the provincial government that if a government, whoever it was, got in and decided we really are going to take aim at whittling down this deficit, surely there are some parts and some things we do that are not emergency rooms and classrooms that we really could whittle back a little bit. There's got to be. Sure there is. And you know what? That's the mantra I've heard from everybody who wanted to run for elected office over the last 30 years. How's that work, Scott? That's what I don't understand. Here's what happens. We say, you're right, this sitting government, they're they're jerks, we're going to get rid of them. You guys are going in next. They do the same thing. It's just, you know what? It's it's like they mentioned in one of the debates. Okay, we're going to get rid of all those cronies, and I'm going to put my cronies in there instead. And that's the problem. That's that's the, and you're you're exactly right, Bill, and that's what happens. I'm going to put my cronies in instead, instead of saying, we are going... Here's here's Doug Ford, for instance, and I'll pick on Doug, because... The name came to my head, uh, saying, I'm going to get rid of us. You know, it's almost like drain the swamp, okay? And I know the analogies with, with Trump are always there. But I'm going to get rid of all this. I'm going to clean this up. And then we see him on video of talking to a, a bunch of developers saying, I'm going to clean. You guys can have the green belt. I'm going to do this. So <laughs> those are his cronies. I mean, oh, I, I'm not going to do that. Really? I, uh, come on. So it's, you know what? A pox on all their houses because they all do the same thing and they've all got these people on the side that say as soon as I get in there I'm going to look after you guys that's the problem we have that's why so many voters in this election right now are saying I don't know where to go they're so disillusioned I absolutely agree and yet I, I know a lot of voters right now that voted for McGinty and voted for Win uh, and voted for Win again uh, she won a majority last time nobody thought she was going to and they said you know what enough is enough we, we got to move on 
And they were ready, willing, and able to look and say, I guess maybe the conservatives, Patrick Brown, you know, had this thing called the People's Guarantee, and it was more to the middle, a lot more than used to happen with Mike Harris. It was more like a Bill Davis sort of thing. And they said, I can live with that. Sure, I'll vote for this guy. Well, of course, Patrick Brown blew up, like, you know, Billy Sawyer. Let's blow these guys, and he did. But they thought, well, they're not going to be stupid enough to elect some idiot. They'll, they'll give Christine Elliott a job, and they'll keep this policy, and I can still vote for them. Well, they elected Doug Ford as the leader. And, and a lot of people that were willing to swing to the conservatives are saying, I can't support this guy. And, uh, but I don't want to go to the NDP, because, you know, the NDP, just, they, they have these ideas, and the, there's no financial basis to this. And they're thinking, I don't know where to go. And, and I, I, I don't know what to tell them. And yet, Bill, the reality is, and I think you and I, and again, the 70% of the people who voted in this poll you referred to agree, we can't continue on the path of growing huger and huger and huger debt. We can't sustain that. We're going to ruin our kids. We're going to ruin the economy. We have to do something about this. So there has to be some kind of answer rather than simply putting on a blindfold and saying, ah, oh, we'll let the next people handle it. Yeah, but here's the problem with that. And and I don't disagree with you. And I'm a taxpayer. You're a taxpayer. And, and we both live in Ancaster, have the highest taxes here in this area. So we understand that. I don't want, I don't want any government dumping more onto our property taxes like what happened before. I want fiscal responsibility. Of course I do. We all do. But here's the situation. What are you willing to pay? I've had a lot of wealthy people in this area said, what are you knocking on Doug Ford for? And I said, because he hasn't told us how he's going to do this. I said, if he comes out on June the 8th after he gets elected premier and says, all right, I'm going to uh, increase corporate taxes by 25%, would you be happy? Hell no. I said, well, you don't know that yet, do you? You have no idea what it's going to do. We need to help know a plan so we can make an, uh, an informed judgment as to where we're going to go. And we simply don't have that information right now. We, we know what the liberals are going to do. That was in their, their budget. And, and it's, it sucks. We know that. The NDP have released a platform, and we're thinking, are you kidding? We're going to buy all this stuff back and everything's going to be happy? I, I love the utopian vision, but let's, let's be pragmatic. And Ford simply saying, promise, promise, promise. Uh, how are we going to pay for that? Oh, I'll tell you later. I, I don't want to give anybody a blank check. No, and, and we got a great note for here from Rick, a great email from Rick, and I think Rick touches on something that I think is, uh, maybe he's doing a better job of it than what I'm getting at, Bill, and that is this. He says, paying off debt can be painful. It takes sacrifice. We all benefited from the overspending, and now we need to all sacrifice to clear the debt. But nobody wants to But sacrifice. nobody wants, exactly. No, we you, all... you, know, you know what our mantra is, and it has been for years here, Scott, is you're damn right. Get rid of the deficit, cut spending, just don't affect anything that, exactly. any that, that, that I enjoy. Don't, don't raise my taxes. Exactly. Don't cut any of the programs that I use, or the tax breaks. Do it to somebody else. Well, that's not going to work. No, you're, you're, you're so absolutely bang on with that, and yet we're never going to get rid of this unless we all now, as Rick said, we have all benefited from the overspending, maybe it's time we all have to suck it up a little bit and pay the price to get this thing back in order because another hundred, two hundred, three hundred billion dollars in debt bill, and I, I, we got to go here, but I don't even know. I know, but here's here's the last line. Go I, ahead. I know you got to run. No, okay? go ahead. Here's the whole thing. We have a bunch of politicians, especially the three wannabe premiers right now, that are telling us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. Perfect. Per- I mean, you're, you're absolutely, this is why you are Canada's best morning man, because of stuff <laughs> like that. That's exactly, you know, when people have talked about, and I do have to go, when people have talked about Doug Ford being a populist, that is true. But you know what? The other two are also trying it. Different tax, different absolutely. things. Everybody is trying to be that. 
and we're not getting the leadership from any of them, quite frankly, that we need to at this time. But anyway, we have two and a half more weeks to chew on all of them, and I'm sure we will. Uh, you can catch Bill tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. He'll be here, and he will be chewing on, I don't know who he'll be chewing on tomorrow, but it'll be good. Bill, thanks for the time. Thanks so much. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Interestingly, some air quotes, average, normal people, as well as the hoi polloi and the glitterati, Harry and Meghan have said, we got to bring some normal people into this. It is a little bit of a different wedding. Of course, Saturday morning, 7 o'clock-ish, our time, things really begin to get rolling. But the question is, I think, for a lot of people, because you have the diehard royal watchers, you have the totally disinterested folks, for those in the middle, and the, the royal watchers, of course, are going to watch every moment, the totally disinterested probably will not pay any attention, but for all the people who are in the middle... Why is this royal wedding different? Why is it important? Does it matter? Is it significant? Or is it just a pageant of sorts that we will tune into for fashion and everything else? Well, Robert Oldham is the past president of the Hamilton branch of the Monarchist League of Canada. He joins us now. Robert, thanks for doing this today. Oh, you're very welcome. And happy Victoria Day weekend, by the way. Well, it is appropriate timing, is it not? (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, it is indeed. It's, it's very good of them to plan their lives around our holidays and the appropriate <laughs> holidays, too. Way better than St. Patrick's Day if they were going to do it, for example. Yeah. yeah. Um, this, as I understand it, this wedding is going to be considerably different in scope and in scale from Harry's brother William and Kate. Yeah. This is going to be a, can we call anything like this a downsized royal wedding? But it kind of sounds like it's going to be. Well, yes, it is downsized because he is sixth in line for the throne. So, of course, the the most important people right now are Prince Charles, who will immediately succeed once the Queen, his mom, passes away, which will be a sad day for many people, even those who maybe didn't think, hmm, I don't really think about the crown or the meaning of constitutional monarchy in Canada or wherever they might be in the uh, many countries of the Commonwealth. Um, but it, it, you were mentioning earlier about pageantry. Um, pageantry in the royal family is a very ancient way of um, having leadership in your society, and it's taken many centuries of, uh, you know, fights, civil war, uh, political arguments, and so on. And I think in the British uh, and Canadian and Australian and other parliamentary systems that operate, um, we see that the crown uh, provides stability, and um, and many monarchists look look towards that uh, political and social stability. Yeah, and so Harry can. Prince Harry, pardon me. Prince Harry can hardly be described as one of us. I mean, he has not exactly lived the layman's life. I mean, even though he is maybe a little more coming across as more every man than his brother, um, he's not exactly that. But he does seem to be a little closer to the average person. Yeah, he's he's maybe more informal, but he can get away with that, you see. Um, You know, the establishment, of course, uh, has strict rules, and the royal family has to sort of follow them, because um, their their advisors are very, very experienced uh, in the ways of um, what is the right thing to do and the best thing to do sometimes. And uh, But the Queen and, and the royal family do change with the times. For example, um, um, he's been bumped down once by um, in terms of line of succession because the new birth of um, Princess Charlotte a few years ago, uh, and lo- new law now, is that uh, it doesn't matter... What whether the the person in succession is a, is a male or female, 
um, it's, it just happens to be the number. That's it. So um, she, she bumped Prince Harry down a bit with her birth. And then, of course, along came Prince Louis. So I'm not saying it's a race. I'm sure, you know, it's not something I think they really, you know, it's, it's a heck of a job to do. I mean, it's a great, great responsibility. So it's not something you wish upon anyone. And they're doing it for us. And when they're crowned, they, they vow to serve and serve us. But you mentioned, no, you mentioned, though, the fact that times have changed and the royal family has changed a bit. I mean, here you yeah. have a prince who is sixth, you say, but sixth in line of the throne, nonetheless, who is mm-hmm. marrying a divorced woman who is half mm-hmm. minority. I'm not sure if 20, 25, even 30 years ago, this wedding mm-hmm. happens. Um, Maybe. Possibly not. Uh, she seems like a lovely lady. Um uh, you know, and, and divorce, of course, is something that happens to many families. And unfortunately, it happened to uh, Prince Charles and uh, uh, Diana, Princess of Wales. I mean, uh, you know, we all loved her. And, uh, well, Prince Charles himself was, was looked like he'd been hit by a plank when he when he realized and heard the news about her ter- terrible death in, in uh, Paris. And he was the one that, that insisted that her body not be embalmed, but be brought back immediately to Britain. And he flew out with the RAF and uh, to make sure that happened and put the um, the uh, the royal flag uh, over her coffin. Um, so he insisted that that be done. So I mean, and then of course he married um, uh, Camilla Parker Bowles, his second wife. So uh, divorce is you know something the part and parcel of, of many families, and um, you know it, it makes uh, an interesting mix. Um, <laughs> blended families and so on, but that's life, isn't it? But is it good for the royal family? Is it good for the monarchy to be modernizing? Uh, and I think a lot of people would say, well, of course. I mean, why the fact that she would be mm-hmm. half minority or divorced? Why should that not be allowed? But is it good for the royal family to modernize? Or is the entire point of the royal family that they are a stable anchor, a traditional thing from once upon a time that hasn't really changed, and so we still have that as yeah. the center point? What, how much do you I, want them to change? Well, you do it very carefully. Um, I think in the early 2000s, the Queen and her advisors and the royal family sat down over many meetings and decided how they will plot uh, positive change one step at a time. Um, so steps are being taken. Um, they're, 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 monarchy has to adapt, and it's adapted very well. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's existed for you know, thousands of years in, in one form or another. But the idea is the same, as you say. It's consistent. And I think one of the most important roles of the monarch, the crown, the king of queen of Canada or whatever the country is of the 16 nations that recognize the, the queen uh, or the king of this family as head of state, uh, to use the American term, um, they, they, they fulfill the function of what a president does in the United States, but they do it with certain constraints, which I think are wonderful. And also the wonderful thing is that they withhold total power, and I'm including soft power in this. They, 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 they withhold total power from any, any, any politician. But that's not to say that the prime ministers and, and others, uh, you know, serving Her Majesty cannot, you know, make political change. Of course they can within our system, which has been evolved over hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's a very good system. And the New York Times just, I think, uh, last year or so did a, an article, a very good article, saying that the happiest people, they survey people, are you ha- were, you, were you happiest? The happiest peoples are the ones that live in constitutional monarchy. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML.
We're talking with uh, Robert Oldham, the past president of the Hamilton branch of the Monarchist League of Canada. That would be part of a show if they brought in the Monty Python guys to do the Holy Grail scenes. <laughs> Don't <laughs> well, think that's, that's going to happen. Interesting. No, probably not. But I mean, you know, been an interesting thing to do at a party or something. <laughs> but by the way, I'm past past chairman of the Hamilton branch. Pardon me, um, yes, yes. There is another Hamiltonian who's in charge of the whole kit and caboodle for the Monarchist League of Canada, Bob Finch, but he was unable, and he's from Hamilton. Absolutely. He's the chairman of the Dominion chairman, but but he was unable, unfortunately. He's, he's probably being besieged by, <laughs> by calls on the radio and TV. I have no doubt. And and <laughs> here's the thing, though, Robert, that, that I find really interesting about this today is, again, whether you're a big diehard royalty mm-hmm. fan mm-hmm. or whether you're not interested... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this seems like it's going to be the last major royal wedding, major royal event for some time now. I mean, I suppose that the next mm-hmm. big royal thing, yep. sadly, will be the death of the Queen, which we know is inevitable at some point, hopefully not sure. imminently. But uh, yeah. if you're into royal weddings or into, as you say, the pageantry, we're not going to see another one of these for a long but time. It, and of course, that's sometimes like it is in families, you know, generational gaps and changes and all of a sudden you know within 20 years the children grow up and decide to settle down and get married and and uh, that's that's wonderful it's, it's a pageantry of life and and uh, i think it's wonderful to have a family you know at the heart of things um it's sort of an echo of what we do in our real lives uh, those enough that are lucky to have have families and of course not every family is is completely happy all the time um but but we we we, we learn to live each other love each other and live together and um I just hope it goes really well. Can I can I just mention some of the historical um, similarities between Meghan uh, and Markle and and Prince Henry, uh, to use his proper name, but we all call him Prince Harry, of course. Can I just mention that I just just researched a little bit just before this for the interviews I was going to be doing, that um, through the father, uh, Meghan's father, Thomas Merkel Senior, Markle Senior, um, he actually is descended from Edward the Third. Um, you know, very famous king of, of, of England, who actually built, commanded to be built, the, the St. George's Chapel, where they're going to be married. Um, now, that came through um, a reverend, um, William Skipper, who uh, went from England and decided to settle in Boston, in British North America in 1639. That's going back a fair ways. So that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, and also, I think genealogists just discovered a day or two ago that... Um, Megan is also descended from Henry VIII's favorite wife, his third wife that finally gave him a son called Edward VI. And the interesting thing is that they, he, he, she died first, and then he decided he wanted to be buried alongside his favorite wife that gave him that son. But isn't it um, odd that uh, Henry VIII you're talking about, isn't it odd that the wedding is going to be on the anniversary of the day that Anne Boleyn was beheaded by Henry VIII? <laughs> yes, that's an interesting. Well, you see, there's so many historic dates. You, 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 can, you can't pick a date without something happening that's royal. Exactly. But the interesting thing is, is that when they walk down the aisle together, um, they're in the chapel that was built by their common ancestor, Edward mm. III, and there's a brass plaque or a stone engraving on the floor, indicating the vault in which Henry VIII and Jane Seymour buried. I think I, I love history, and I just find it fascinating that this is this is a really this is this is living history. She was, you know, obviously in the right place, and I do hope it works very well for them. And um, I hope it's a peaceful time, and I, I wish her her father uh, all the best. We, I think he's going through a, you know, it's tough. We just have another minute or so, but what yep. is after this wedding, and now that he allegedly has settled down and has become a married man, what is Harry's role? What is Prince Harry's role now in the royal family? He's clearly not going to become king, barring something completely bizarre. What yeah. is his role in this? 
Well, he seems to be finding a role in terms of founding wonderful things like the Invictus Games. Um, my wife and I were on holiday in England at the time it was on in Toronto, and it was all over the, the BBC and the other TV and stations, radio stations over there. They couldn't get enough coverage of Toronto. Um, and it's, you know, because of his military experience, because he was a, you know, he was almost did two full tours in, in Afghanistan. Unfortunately, word got out, the enemy found out that, you know, where he was, what he was doing, and it was a price on his head, and that puts him and his fellow, uh, you know, crew members in the helicopter and sure. so on that he was flying at risk. So I think it was a very heavy heart. He obeyed orders and was ordered back, but at least he put a, a tour and a half in. So I think he's going to spend a lot of time, um, he and Megan, with veterans, um, also with many other charities. Um, I understand that Megan Markle was very involved with World Vision Canada when she was here. Uh, doing suits and so on, and more recently. So, you know, it could be lots of different things that they get involved in. Uh, I mean, there's no end of need, is there? No, there is certainly no uh, no shortage, and um, we saw that Princess Diana did things with landmines and everything else, so that there's certainly going to be, uh, there's going to be openings. Robert sure. Oldham, past president yes. of the Hamilton branch of the Monarchist League of Canada, really appreciate uh, past the... Chairman. We past chairman, yeah, I keep saying that. <laughs> past chairman, thank you so much for the time today, really well, appreciate it. It's a real it. pleasure, and all the best to you. Thank you very much. That, uh, the wedding will be roughly our time, 7 a.m., the... The pregame show begins probably about 6 o'clock our time, actually. I don't know what you do for a pregame show for a royal wedding, but anyway, whatever they're going to do. Uh, around 6 o'clock, if you wake up Saturday morning, you'll be able to watch. If you're not interested, well, sleep in. But there you go, royal wedding. The exact day that Henry VIII had Anne Boleyn beheaded. What does that mean? I have no idea. But it's kind of interesting. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Did you hear what happened in Langley, B.C.? Yes, was it yesterday or the day before in the Tim Hortons restaurant? Did you hear what happened? I, I mean, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. Some people are eating dinner still. If, um, if you know, well, you know. If you don't know, the song was a clue. Just go to Google, type in Langley Tim Hortons It'll be all the reading material you need for a long, long time. And and be sure to watch the live video, too, because the video really tells the story in ways that the story never possibly could. Let's just say, without going into great detail, it involves a very angry woman with a very urgent need to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'm just going to leave it there. Um, yeah, I was not even going to talk about that tonight, but you know what? And I didn't, it is time right now for something we do every week called Ben's story of the day. I didn't even include this one in the story of the day because I thought, no, no, I'm not going to talk about someone getting angry and flinging her poop around a restaurant. That was just not something I was going to talk about. So, Ben, we're going to skip over the Langley, B.C., Tim Hortons. If anyone doesn't know the story, again, go look it up on Google. I don't want to cause someone to lose their stomach while they're eating dinner tonight because of that story. But anyway, here is what we do every week. I bring in three of the oddest stories of the week. Clearly, I left one out. But I'm going to bring in three of the oddest stories. I'm going to tell you what they are, and Ben chooses which one is his story of the day. You Very left that simple. one out because you know that that would have been the one I'd choose. First of all, I know that'll be the one you choose. And second of all, as I say, we are on during some people's dinner hour still, and I just couldn't bring myself 
to be talking about that while people are dining. So we move on from flung poop and rage to this one. Start here in Sweden, where a mother of two children, uh, one of whom was five, one of whom was two, decided that she was going to honor her children with a tattoo of their name on her body. Her name was Johanna Gisenhall Sandström, or something along those lines. That's my best Swedish I can do. And she decided she was going to get two tattoos, one with each of their names on her arm to honor her children. And I guess, you know, like a lot of people, I'm told, you don't watch when they're poking you with the needles because it really hurts when you're getting a tattoo. So you're looking away, you're trying to breathe, you're trying to relax. Anyway, she gets up to look at the final product in the mirror and her son, whose name is Kevin, well, the tattoo said Kelvin. Oops. So what do you do? What do you do if you're at a tattoo parlor? You can't use whiteout. You can't just hit the erase button. What do you do if the tattoo artist has misspelled the name of your child? Well, he offered a refund because he said there's nothing else he can really do. But Johanna decided on a better idea for her two-year-old son. She changed his name. (laughs) She just changed his name to Kelvin. The tattoo says Kelvin. You're now Kelvin. That poor kid must have been so confused thinking... Wait a second, for the past two years, I thought I heard her say Kevin. But no, it's Kelvin. No, 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 I never said Kelvin. I never said Kevin. I always said Kelvin. Poor kid. Anyway, that's story number one. Changing the name of your child because of a tattoo error. I I mean, you can only think of what the various possibilities could have been if there had been a real horrendous error. I'll leave that one to you. Number two comes to us from California, where a nine-year-old boy was playing in a bouncy castle on his front yard. Everyone's done this, right? Everyone's been in the bouncy castle once upon a time. Sadly, it's not sadly, he's fine. No one got hurt. But unfortunately, shall we say, a huge gust of wind came along and picked up the bouncy castle, threw it over a giant fence, and landed him on a highway in the bouncy castle. You imagine being the parent. Now, we got a second parent story here. You imagine being the parent of this child and seeing the bouncy castle that had your nine-year-old son lift off, fly over the fence, and land on... Have you ever seen a California highway? It's not like there's a lot of breaks in the traffic. This is not a good scenario. Anyway... He was fine. He um, it was in San Bernardino County. It carried it onto Highway 395, where a car did hit it. But if you're going to be hit by a car, I would think in an inflatable bouncy castle is about the safest thing you can possibly be in. Uh, he had very minor injuries, and uh, everybody was basically okay. That's story number two. And number three comes from Berlin in Germany, where police were called because uh, to an apartment because a man and a woman were in a just violent screaming match. The noise was so loud, the rage was so high that people were concerned that something bad was going to happen and it was very distracting and it was unable to let them sleep and everything else. Uh, So they called the police to this German town right near the Swiss border to complain about the loud shouting. And when police arrived, a 22-year-old man was engaged in a violent shouting incident with his pet parrot. (laughs) who apparently was holding its own, I guess. If the, if you heard the shouting, if it was a shouting match, a match indicates there are two participants. The parrot clearly was able to keep up with this guy, which is sad on many, many levels. If you can't win an argument against a bird, 
you need to dust up on your arguing game. Let's be honest. He is not doing well if you cannot win a battle of wits with a foul. Anyway, so, Ben, is your story of the day, the Swedish mother who renamed her son after her misspelled tattoo, is it the nine-year-old boy blowing onto the highway and getting hit by a car in his bouncy castle, though everyone's okay, or is it the man in Germany, the 22-year-old, losing an argument with his pet parrot? It would have to be the nine-year-old kid that got blown away in his bouncy castle because he's knocked off more things off of his bucket list than I have in that one scenario. All right, story of the day is that one. And by the way, I got a note from Frank here um, saying that he does not appreciate me mentioning the Langley Tim Hortons. I didn't, Frank. I skipped over it. I could have gone into great detail, and I skipped it. He says, grow up. Can't you interest your audience better? I don't know if you can interest your audience any better than a person flinging poo into Tim Hortons. Really? Come on. That's gold, Jerry. That's gold. I skipped it, though. I didn't do it. I didn't go there. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. All right. Let us go out west to the beautiful plains of Regina, Saskatchewan, where the wheat blows gloriously in the spring. I don't actually I don't think there's any wheat there in the spring, but where we find Terry Pekoski at the Memorial Cup. Terry, how are you? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm good. Before we get into the Memorial Cup, I do have yes. to ask you, how are the accommodations in Regina? Well, they will be improving soon, I hope. <laughs> what does that mean? Start. It was a rocky start. What does um, that mean? Yeah, I, I mean, we didn't really, I, I think a lot of us surrounding the Bulldogs, myself included, were not convinced maybe that we would be in Regina this week. It was a bit of a surprise. And because they didn't win until Sunday, the hotel rooms that were left were pretty, pretty limited. Uh, so uh, except for this one place that um, inexplicably, you know, despite being right downtown, had quite a few vacancies. So... <laughs> Not a good hint at what's to come. <laughs> so I thought, perfect, great location, no problem. Uh, until I got there and there were, you know, greasy handprints on uh, on the walls of my room and it looked like it hadn't been vacuumed in about eight years. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit terrifying. It is, it's, it's just... Did you sleep I'll last be- night or were you just lying there staring at the ceiling waiting for something to happen? You know what? I, I was so tired. <laughs> from the time change and I had flown out at about, you know, I left for the airport at four in the morning. So luckily I was so exhausted. I just uh, slept through it. Tonight is going to be a bit more difficult, but tomorrow I'm, I'm moving out, moving up. It's all good. It is. Uh, it is the glamorous life of a traveling reporter covering a team there. Uh, there you go. Not, not every hotel. You know, you see the guys on TV. You see the the folks covering the NHL at the Breakers Hotel down in Palm Beach when they have the GM <laughs> meeting. Not exactly the same. No. Not quite the same. Now, no. outside your hotel room, when you get out of the hotel, when yeah. your life is now safe and yeah. you are able to get into the area of the Memorial Cup goings on, uh, what's it yeah. like down there? You know what? It's um, it's exciting. Things are starting to happen. Even over the last 24 hours or so, uh, everything has kind of started to ramp up. The opening ceremonies are tonight. Um, but it's it's funny. You and I were talking. We we do this podcast uh, that's on my E2E blog um, yesterday, and you had asked me, you know, have, are, are there signs that there's something big happening? And I kind of said, no, not yet. And and then I went for a run and. <laughs> 
ran past the main entrance into town and there were a row of about 50 Regina Pats flags. And I thought, well, I, you know, I kind of look like an idiot now. Uh, so there is. I mean, things things are happening. I think people are legitimately excited. There are 500 volunteers that are working on this thing. Um, so it's it, it's going to be good. It's going to be a party. The the opening ceremony, as I said, is tonight, and the Eagles are playing. So it's um, that's pretty good. Big. That's yeah. pretty good. That's like this is the get. this is the actual Eagles, not a group spelled E E G L E S or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the some actual Eagles. Yeah, it's not a garage band, of course supplemented by Minskill and someone else. I, I don't know. I can't. Yeah, Glenn Fry's son. Yeah, Glenn Fry's son is also in there now with Vince Gill. But but is it so is it when you go to downtown Regina then in the, in the area of the arena, is it mm-hmm. just right around the arena or do you get the sense as you're moving around in the area that there is, as I say, beyond the flags, do you get the sense that something big is happening? Yeah, you do. I mean, it, it helps that, I mean, there are Memorial Cup cars. I think there's a fleet of about 40 of them that are just cruising around the city, taking people here and there. Um, so there there are signs. I mean, at all the hotels, of course, there are now uh, sort of like almost like information booths set up for visitors with uh, with schedules and, um, you know, lists of restaurants and lists of concerts. They have like two or three people performing every night for the next 10 nights. It's, it's kind of incredible. Wow. It, it, the thing that strikes me about this is that Hamilton bid on this and Hamilton wants to host the Memorial Cup someday down the road. Yeah. Now, this is the 100th, and so you would expect that it's going to be a big deal. But nonetheless, the, the, it sounds like the bar is set pretty high, that if you're going to host this thing, you can't be invisible. There's got to be something there. You've got you to hold up your end of the bargain. Oh, exactly. I, I totally agree. I think, I mean, it, it is, you, you can just tell by the way it's been put together and the materials that they're distributing. I mean, it's exceptionally well organized. And I think the facility plays a huge part in that. The fact that they have this complex that um, also includes the football stadium and almost what is sort of like a conference center, it's all on the same property just outside of downtown um, really helps because you can hold all these events in one, in one place, essentially. And the rink, I mean, the rink is massive. They do a ton of agricultural shows here. Uh, so it only, it seats about 6,500 people, which is small, you know, by Hamilton standards. But um, if, on the lower floor of the rink, you, and you don't see this, it's um, for Ontario Center, the former Cops Coliseum. There's, there's just, you know, acres of space down here. Like on the concourse, you mean? Yeah, yeah, but on the very lower level where the dressing rooms are and things like that, um, there's just such a, a vast amount of space that they have turned into, you know, staging areas for teams and uh, a media center, and it, it's just kind of incredible. The, the the Bulldogs got on the ice today. They got their first practice on the rink today. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's impossible to tell anything about anything. I mean, you can even, I know you were taking notes of lineups and, and line combinations and things, but did you get a chance to chat with the players today? What are they saying? Like, is it, are they beginning to feel that this is the big time? Yeah, I think they're excited. I think <laughs> some of them are a little overwhelmed with all the media requests. I mean, it's for them, this is new. Usually I'm the only person they have to deal with. Uh, so they're, they're getting requests for TV and radio and print reporters. And it, this thing has barely even started. Um, so I think that's new for them. Uh, but I think in, in general, they're just excited to play. I mean, it's been, you know, five or six days, which for them, I mean, in the context of the playoffs, when you've been playing every other day for the last two months, seems like a long break. So I think they're just eager to get that first game out of the way, get their feet under them and, um, 
try to win this thing. Could you tell just from the from being around there? Could you tell who is the player or players for Hamilton that are the desired stories? Because there's different storylines that people may want to latch onto. There's a Strom in there for the third, I think, straight year, and there's you know there's a bunch of different things. Who who is the one or who are the guys who are being sought the most? Can you tell? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the three today in particular, Strom, of course, um, Robert Thomas and Riley Stillman. And I don't think there's any surprise with those ones. Um, I'm trying to think. I think well, those, those were those were the main three today. Yeah, Strom is obviously, he's got two brothers who have been drafted. Uh, Riley Stillman is the son of Corey Stillman, who's a former NHLer, and Robert Thomas is a first-round draft pick of the St. Louis Blues and has been arguably the best player in the OHL playoffs and arguably is one of the best players in the Canadian Hockey League, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, the opposition, do you get, now they play Regina tomorrow, they play the past tomorrow, they've been off the ice, as we've mentioned here, for boy, a month and a half now, because they got eliminated days. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. D- did they skate today? Did you get a chance to look at them? I mean, again, it's really hard to tell, even if you saw them skate, because it's there's no context, there's nobody else on the ice, but have they've been answering this question, I'm sure, nonstop about how do you deal with not playing for 47 days i uh yeah i mean i missed i, I missed their practice today i believe they practiced first today and then it was um swift current and then hamilton and then the quebec team so uh so i wasn't here for their practice so i didn't get a, a chance to but their coach you know did address some of that at the press conference um last night which was sort of just, just for the four coaches and it's kind of interesting. He did reach out to uh, Rocky Thompson, who's the former coach of the Windsor Spitfires, who literally dealt with the same thing a year ago when Windsor was hosting the Cup and lost to London in the first round. Uh, and from what I can tell, I mean, the plan that they followed is is almost identical. I mean, he and I disagreed <laughs> on this topic a little bit, but to me it sounds almost identical to the one that, um, that Windsor followed last year, you know, that allowed it to go on and win the Memorial Cup. Which is what, so, generally, in, in, in simple terms, what do, I mean, other than just skating laps to stay in shape, what do they do? Uh, you know, the first thing they did was take a bit of time off. Everyone kind of took a break, maybe went home. I, I can't remember. I think it was, you know, eight or nine days or something like that. Uh, and then they came back and they, they hit the gym. They were lifting. They... Um, they were practicing actually pretty hard in a pretty grueling way early, and then they tapered it down as time went on. Uh, and later in, you know, in the, the plan, they actually um, played against some other teams locally. So they, you know, so they haven't, even though they haven't been playing playoff hockey, they have been sort of scrimmaging and, um, you know, and sort of facing off against other opponents in the meantime. It, that is, there's going to be a lot of interesting games in this tournament. They're all on Sportsnet. You can watch them all on Sportsnet. That, to me, tomorrow night's game, 10 o'clock is the face-off our time. That, to me, may be the most interesting game of the bunch, just because we know, especially around here, we know who and what the Hamilton Bulldogs are. I don't think anybody has a clue what Regina is going to look like when they step on the ice tomorrow. No, I, I, I agree with you, and it's um, that makes it kind of exciting, and I'm, you know, I'm thrilled I... <laughs> Because of the time change, I won't actually be on deadline, so I can write something, <laughs> uh, you know, reasonable about it and do it justice. Um, and it, it is. It's a, I, I can't wait to see. I mean, people are making all sorts of different pr- predictions, and it's, it's there's literally no consensus on uh, on how people think the Pats are going to do. So you have some people saying 
they're a lock to win the whole thing. And you have other people saying uh, they're not going to win a game. And these are, you know, Pat's fans. <laughs> because, well, because we've seen both of those extremes in recent years with host teams. There have been, like exactly. Windsor, you say, Windsor didn't play for just as long, came out of the gate and looked terrific. Like they, not only like they had not not missed any time, but like they'd been rolling they win yeah. other teams have hosted and have just been blown out of the water because they can't get their rhythm back in time and it's a quick three game round robin if you can't find it pretty quickly and you're playing really good teams you're done exactly exactly so it will be interesting it's going to be uh it's also going to be putting a lot i think and the guys when they were in here people who were listening on tuesday i had three of the hamilton guys from the team who actually are from hamilton and i asked about this they dismissed any idea of pressure or anything like that but i have to think if regina somehow comes out of the gate tomorrow and jumps out in front and really gets some momentum in that building boy that is going to be really tough for hamilton this is this is one of those games they've traditionally through these playoffs been great in the first period this would be a really good game to do that again and just try and, in case Regina starts to think they have a chance, stamp it out of them really fast. I, I agree, and there's a great opportunity here. One of the interesting storylines coming out of this uh, is um, from the Pats saying they're not entirely sure who they're even going to start in goal tomorrow night. So um, I, it could be a complete bluff, who knows. Uh, but, you know, if, if there is some, you know... Um, disagreement as to who their number one goaltender is right now that's a great opportunity for Hamilton to come and put a lot of pressure on early and maybe get out to to a quick lead and then you know just just play their game which I think is their their focus do what has you know brought them success to this point and it's it's worked well so far how uh, we got only a couple minutes left here but how much how heavily do you expect and I would expect that it's going to be reasonably heavy how heavy do you think the Humboldt story is going to be played there, not just because we're in Saskatchewan for this tournament, but the team from the Western Hockey League that qualified is the Swift Current Broncos, which was, for people who remember, the last team to really have a tragic bus accident. There's a lot of things that sort of align here for storylines and for uh, um, uh, things that you want to do to honor them. Has that already been very obvious that that's going to be a storyline here? I think so. I mean, at the coaches' conference last night, you saw them, uh, at the press conference last night, you saw the coaches all wearing the Humboldt pins. Um, and then I, I know for a fact it's also going to play a, some sort of role in the opening ceremony tonight. Uh, there's going to be some sort of a tribute. Um, I even heard a rumor that there could be, you know, I don't, I don't know if players or people around the team are actually going to come here and be involved, but um, that is, some people are talking about that. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it is front and center, but there hasn't been a ton of talk about it around the rink, I will say that. Not yet, although, as you say, I, I kind of expect it tomorrow, and, and it, I mean, certainly this should be a part of it. It's in that province. If it was here, it would certainly be being played. It, I would expect that it's going to be very strongly a part of the opening ceremonies, and very we're going to be reminded of it, and... Some people may be cynical about that and say, oh, you know what, mm-hmm. using a bus crash to try and prop up and pump up the local team, eh, maybe. Although, as I say, if it had happened around here and with what happened and, and the, the sentiment, uh, look, it's it's it should be heavily played. It should be heavily played. There's no question about that. Sure, especially with two teams, I think, from, from Saskatchewan in this thing, which is, I, I don't know, you know, how long it has been since that happened or if it has ever happened. Um 
yeah, uh, certainly. And, and the swift current connection with, you know, what they had been through historically um, with their own bus crash uh, that ended in tragedy. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, there, there are so many connections and it certainly will be a storyline. First game is tomorrow night, 10 o'clock our time, if you stay up for it. Uh, Hamilton versus Regina Pats. Then Hamilton plays again on Monday against the Western Hockey League, right, against Swift Current? Against Swift Current and then against the, the Quebec team on Tuesday. And you can catch all that on Sportsnet. You can catch uh, Terry. You can follow her stuff. It's at Terry, T-E-R-I, at Terry, at the spec, and the at in the second one is actually written out at at the spec. That's her Twitter. Um, her blog is E to E now letter E number two, letter E blog. You can link to uh, link to it through the spectator, uh, lots of different ways to catch up on what she's writing and what she's doing from there to keep up on the bulldogs. It was, it has been 42 years since Hamilton has been in the Memorial cup. We have no idea if it's going to be another 42 years. You may as well pay attention this time. <laughs> Terry, really appreciate the time. Enjoy it. And, um, have a pair of scissors or something by the bed just to protect yourself, just in case in that hotel room. I'm a little frightened for you. I will for sure. Don't worry. Thanks for doing this. Thanks. Uh, I did uh, actually see a photo that Terry had, a text that she sent me of a photo, and uh, not to be over the top, but the hand, there was a giant hand print on the door of her hotel room, and I swear it looked like a Sasquatch print. And I'm not making it up. I'm looking at this thinking, could there have act? This is, is this where they're going to find the Sasquatch in this hotel in Regina? This is where he's been hanging out all this time. That's what it looked like. It was a little disconcerting for her. Anyway, 10 o'clock tomorrow night. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.